Let us turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through to 12. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Now, in looking at these verses, you will know that they are in their entirety a quotation from Psalm 102. And the verses 25 through to 27 of that great psalm. We read that psalm together, and in a moment we shall turn to it again. But we have to ask two very important questions about these verses. We have to ask, first of all, who is this Lord? Thou, Lord. And then secondly, we have to ask, who is speaking these words? Who is addressing this Lord and telling him this? These are the two questions that we must ask. Who is this Lord? To whom is the apostle referring to whenever he makes this use of Psalm 102? In the Christian church, the answer is, it is Jesus Christ that is referred to in Psalm 102. There are those who deny that, and they have to deny that because they will not believe that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. They will not believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal, uncreated creator of all things. They have to stay clear of that truth. And they have to get around those rocks of Holy Scripture that present that truth. And so there are those who deny that this is a reference to Christ. That he is not the Lord referred to in the verse. They're prepared to accept the word son as being applied to him earlier on. Unto the son, he said. They're prepared even to accept the expression first begotten and say that is Christ and explaining them away in a lesser sense than the true Christian community always has. They're even prepared to accept that word God. Thou God. But with a small g. Not the one true and living God. Not the Jehovah God. Not Lord in the Old Testament sense of its application to Jehovah. And yet these verses clearly refer to Jehovah God. And of course the deniers of Christ's deity, they have to get around that. And how do they do that? How do they get around this rock so that they do not crash their heresy into it and break up into smithereens? Well, they have a number of devices, a number of exegetical gymnastic somersaults to surmount it. 
And one is to say it is a doxology to the true God. That the preacher is just breaking out into a glorification of God for Christ, for Messiah. Having spoken about Messiah, then he breaks out into glorification of the true God, thy Lord, and makes it altogether different and distinct from Christ and not applied to Christ at all. Uh, That suggestion hardly needs to be answered. All these quotes are addressed to the Son to show that he is better than the angels. That's the whole point of this. He's better than angels because he's the Son who sits at the right hand of God. He's better than angels because all the angels are commanded to worship him. He's better than the angels because he's called God, thou God lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. And therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee. And now, adding on to that reasoning, the apostle says, and thou Lord. It's to Christ that's being said. That's the whole point of it. That's the whole aim of the apostle in bringing these scripture proofs to bear on this matter. And it's put beyond all doubt by how the apostle concludes his epistle. You see that word, thou Lord. And then you'll notice verse 12, art the same. Thou Lord art the same. That's how he begun his epistle. And you will remember how he ends his epistle. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today. And forever the same word. The same Christ, thou Lord, art the same. Who is that Lord? Jesus Christ, the same. The same. So there's no question it's a reference to Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Another way to put the text aside is to say the preacher just simply wrongly accommodates Psalm 102 to Christ. Paul is wrong to take these verses out of Psalm 102 and apply them to Christ, the Jews say. There's no way that they can be applied to Messiah, the Jews say. They say that now, but I do not think that perhaps they said that in Paul's day. Even the Jews in Paul's day were better interpreters of the scripture than that. And I I don't think there was any controversy amongst the Jews that these were messianic portions. Paul seems to quote this as if it is a well-known messianic psalm, as well-known as Psalm 2, which he quotes, as well-known as Psalm 45, which he quotes, as well-known as Psalm 110, which is his main text for this epistle. And now he brings Psalm 102. It's it's well-known it was a messianic psalm. Now, of the Jews in Paul's day, we can't speak with definiteness. Of the Christian community in Paul's day, we certainly can And the Christian community looked upon Psalm 102 as messianic. And they received this as messianic from the apostles. Who we believe received it from Christ himself. And so there's no doubt that the Son of God is addressed here. And being thus addressed, he must have been the one being addressed in the actual psalm itself. Now, the people deny that. The modern scholars come along. Paul got it wrong. He's twisting the Psalms. He's twisting Scripture. That's not the way to do it. 
Well, the Christian community disagrees with the scholars. I'd rather follow the Apostle Paul than the modern-day scholars. I'd rather follow the Holy Spirit who's in the Apostles than the modern-day scholars. The truth of the matter is, it is an undoubted reference to Christ. Whenever it says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning, that's spoken to Christ. It's actually spoken to Christ. But who is doing the speaking? Who is it that is saying, Thou, Lord, to the Son? Now, there are some who say it is the psalmist. The afflicted man is, is speaking, he's complaining. And there are those who say that the afflicted man in that psalm is addressing the second divine person, that he addresses God the Son. Christ is being addressed here. The God who appears in glory. The God who loosens sinners. The God who hears the groaning of the prisoners, as that psalm says. The God who sets them free. The God who brings in the jubilee. The second person is addressed and there are those who say well it's the psalmist addressing him it's the afflicted man who's addressing him. And I have no problem if people want to take that view of the psalm. That's acceptable. They still see that Christ is addressed. It still fits in with Paul's use of Hebrews here to some extent of the psalm in Hebrews here. It's the afflicted one addressing Christ. In their view. But I do not think that's how Paul interpreted it. That doesn't fit in with Paul's use of it here. I think the apostle here contemplates the father as the one addressing the son. The father addressing him in the spirit through the pen of the psalmist. It's the father saying to the incarnate son. Thou Lord in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. They'll all be changed. It's the Father that knows that. It's the Father that says that to the Son. It's not the sufferer addressing the Son. It's the sufferer complaining to God. And then the Lord, as it were, addressing the sufferer and saying to the Son. So the Son is the sufferer. Messiah is the sufferer who's addressing the Father And the Father responds and addresses him. Thou Lord. That's how the Apostle receives that psalm. He is addressing the one purging our sins. He's addressing the one who is in Gethsemane. He's addressing the one who's under the heavy load. He's addressing the one who's been cut off as far as his humanity in the midst of his years. He's addressing the one on the cross and saying, Thou Lord. That's how... Paul understands it, undoubtedly. You see, that's the wonderful thing about these messianic psalms. We get to listen on this conversation between the Father and the Son that's often going on. That's the point of these quotations. It is the Father addressing the Son. And we get to eavesdrop on that. We get to listen. And very often it's the other way around. It's the son addressing the father. Perhaps most often that's the way. The son addressing the father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. I hoped upon you from my mother's breasts. I will declare thy name, my father, unto my brethren. All the time we're listening to the Son addressing the Father in the Psalms. 
Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. This is the Son addressing the Father. And we're listening to these conversations all the time in the Psalms. But very often it's the other way around. We get to listen to the Father addressing the Son. We get to hear what the Father says to his only begotten. The Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. It's the Father addressing the Son. I've made an oath. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's the Father speaking to the Son. And this happens time and time again throughout the Psalms. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, my son. I give you the heathen for mine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That's the Father speaking through the Son. And Paul is quoting all these Psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 45, Psalm 110. And they're all spoken by the Father to the Son. And now the Psalm 102, it's the very same. It's the Father addressing the Son under the heavy load who's going to be cut off in the midst of his days. And he says, Thy Lord, from the beginning you've made all the world, all the earth, and you're the same, and your years will be throughout all generations. So it's the Father speaking to the Son. In studying these Psalms, we, we, we have to look for this, and we have to have a careful ear to pick up this frequent conversation that's going on between the two persons, the Father and the Son. And they don't only occur in the Psalms. They occur in the prophets as well. Particularly in the prophecy of Isaiah. Especially in those servant songs. Where the father addresses the son. Behold I will make thee a sharp threshing instrument. Having teeth. It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the very ends of the earth. It's the Father telling the Son that. This is throughout all of Scripture. It is to see these wondrous things, these marvelous Father-Son dialogues, that we have to pray. Unveil my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things. And the most wondrous things are these dialogues between the Father and the Son. But the Jews don't hear that. And they don't see that because there's a veil over their mind. But Paul sees it. For the veil has been taken away. And he truly sees Christ in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. And he enters into these dialogues because the veil is gone. It's a wonderful thing to be allowed to hear the fellowship. Between the Father and the Son. And in our study of scripture we can enter into that. And have that fellowship too. Because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Because they have fellowship one with another. And our fellowship is grounded and based on that. And this was how Christ used the Psalms. This is how Christ heard the voice of his father, you know. 
It wasn't very often that there were audible voices come through the, the atmosphere and spoke to him. That, that wasn't how the Savior communed with his father. It was in the word. He heard his father's voice in the word. He had a life of faith as a man on earth. And he responded to his father in the word, in the Psalms and in the prophets. And these Psalms are blessed to us as Christians. But I tell you this, they were infinitely more blessed to Christ himself. And a large part of the reason for the Psalms wasn't just for us to sing them. It was for Christ. To know the will of his Father and to have the fellowship with his Father that he had through the Word. He walked with his Father. And we can enter into that fellowship too. You see, that's the blessed thing. The Spirit's use then of verses 25 to 27 of Psalm 102 in Hebrews 1 establishes the correct messianic interpretation of Psalm 102 as a dialogue between Messiah, the suffering one, and the Father, who upholds and sustains his humanity as he bears the weight of the cross. That's what Psalm 102 is all about. And that's the way to look at Psalm 102. That's the Christian way. That's the way the Christian community looked at it. That's the way the Christian community taught it. If modern scholars and orthodox Jews say that's wrong, well, that's up to them. But we answer them and we say, you have the veil remaining over you. Jesus Christ has unlocked the scriptures to us. He has given to us the truest and the fullest meaning of scripture in his grace. He is the key to scripture. And we adhere to the understanding of our apostolic fathers. We adhere to Paul's understanding of Psalm 102. And that psalm, if you wish to turn to it, pictures Christ the suffering one. You can picture him, for example, in, in Gethsemane or upon the cross. Notice the title of the psalm. It is a prayer of the afflicted. He was afflicted. This is Christ, the afflicted one. When he was overwhelmed, he's the one who's been overwhelmed. He's the one who bore our sins. He's the one who cried upon the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The overwhelmed one. That's who's speaking in this psalm and the complaints that he makes to his father. It's a prayer of him who poureth out his complaint before the Lord. He's pouring it out. And as you study this psalm, you'll find that there are two series of complaints. A larger one at the start, verses 1 through to 11. And then a briefer one in verses 23 and 24. And it's the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, in the spirit of prophecy, who's making these complaints. As he often does, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, here's another one, Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come unto thee. He's crying. Do you remember how Paul says later on in Hebrews 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying, 
He was in agony. He had great burdens. He was overwhelmed. He didn't only cry. The Bible says he cried with tears unto him. He was a man of sorrows. A man of tears as he bore the heavy load. And you can hear his complaining here. My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Even unto death. You remember he said to his apostles. And here it is in the psalm. Verse 2. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me. In the day when I call answer me speedily. My days are consumed like smoke. They're going up like smoke. My bones are burned as in hearth. He's in the fire. He's feeling the intensity of the heat. He himself bore our griefs, the Bible says. He carried our sorrows. And so we're beholding here in these complaints the sin bearer, the suffering one, the one who dreads the hiding of God's face, the one who's dreading that awful cup of wrath that he has to drink. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, he says. I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. Remember how he said, I can tell all my bones. He stretched out upon the cross. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I'm, I watch, I'm like a sparrow alone on the, on the rooftop. There's no one with him. He's on his own. By himself he bears our sins. Reproach has broken his heart. There's none to comfort. There are no comforters about him, as he says in Psalm 69. Alone. All his disciples forsook him and fled. I'm alone. That little sparrow that's always used to be in the flock, but there I am. Alone. Alone in Gethsemane. They're sleeping. I'm alone. Could you not watch with me one hour? I'm alone. He's alone. It's all being poured out here. The suffering one. The overwhelmed one. The one who's pouring out his complaint unto God. Mine enemies are reproaching me all the day. They're mad against me. They're sworn madly against me. I've eaten ashes like bread. I've mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath. Thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declineth and I'm withered like grass. This is Christ, the suffering one. And then in verses 23 to 24, we have a shorter series of complaints. He weakened my strength in the way. Christ was in the way, you see. He wasn't out of the way. He's not suffering for his own sins. He's not suffering because he's in a wrong way. He's not suffering because he's in a sinful way. No, I'm in the way. But you weaken my strength in the way. Oh God, take me not away in the midst of my days. In the midst of his days, he is cut off. His strength is sapped from him. He can't even bear his cross. Other has to carry his cross. He's weak. Being cut off in the midst of his days. His suffering humanity cries out. You see he had a real humanity. He felt it. He had a true humanity. He felt the load. 
It wasn't an easy load for him as a man. He felt it. He dreaded especially the divine wrath. Now, of course, it's all very mysterious, isn't it? And I can't explain it. But the load is real and it's painful to him as the Son of God in human flesh. It is the mystery of deity and humanity coming together in one person. And then you have God's answers to these complaints. A soul uplifting answer that begins with, And thou, Lord, as Paul quotes in verse 10. Verses 12 to 22 is that response. And then after the second short series of complaints, verses 25 to 28 is the response. And so to these griefs and cries of agony, the Father responds with a word of authority. And in each, he is addressed as Lord. That's the thing. And promises are pledged to him to sustain him, to uphold his humanity under the load, under the weight. Thou, Lord. And it's the Father sustaining him. You'll endure forever. Your remembrance will be unto all generations. Yes, you're going to be cut off in the midst of your years. Yes, you're going to die and you're going to suffer, but you'll endure on. You'll be throughout all generations. You'll arise and your glory will be seen and you'll build up Zion and you'll release the prisoners and set them free. And you'll bring in the great jubilee. God is reminding Messiah who he is. And it is particularly the second response that we're focusing on because that's the one that Paul uses in Hebrews chapter 1. So in verse 23 you have He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Don't take me away in the midst of my days. And then there's this response. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. So God is reminding Messiah here who he is. And of the divine promises that he has for the future. So God the Father is calling him by name. By the excellent name. That frail suffering Messiah is being called by the excellent name. That Savior in Gethsemane. That Savior on the cross. He hears these words. Thou Lord in the beginning. Christ is hearing those words. That's what Paul is saying. And I believe it. And that's how Christ took it to heart. He's hearing these words. And through the word. That chief of pilgrims. Jesus Christ. Endured the cross. And finished his course. Now we must remember that Christ was a true man. He lived a life of faith. And conflict. And was sustained by the word of his father. He had two wills. He had two minds. He had a divine mind and a human mind. It's a mystery. How these come together in one person. But his humanity was a true humanity. And he had a human will and a human conflict. And human faith. 
And that was sustained by the word of his father. Who's upholding him. Now I I have to say there's mystery here. And I can't explain it. But I have no doubt that these words are addressed to Messiah. And that Messiah does hear them. He heard them in Gethsemane. He heard them on the cross. And we hear them tonight. The words that were spoken to Christ. Having said that, now let us look to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10 through to verse 12 very quickly. Now that we have established that these words are spoken to Christ, Thou Lord, Thou Jehovah. There are five things in here that are asserted of Christ. The first is that Christ is God. Thou Lord, Thou Jehovah. In the beginning... He's the true God. He is the only God. All that is said of Jehovah is true of Christ. Christ appears in glory. Christ builds up Zion. The heathen will fear him and worship him as Jehovah Christ. It is Jehovah that sets the prisoners free. It's Jehovah that brings in the jubilee. And so he's better than the angels because he's Jehovah. And the Father has addressed him as Jehovah. Thou Lord. And then secondly, Christ is creator God. Thou Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. Now the foundation of the earth is the beginning. It's the very first establishment of matter. It's the very commencement of the work of creation. And in the beginning, thou Lord... He laid that foundation. He he created all things. He is the builder of the universe. He is the architect of the whole world. And in Gethsemane, as he suffers there in agony, he is reminded of this. Thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. He's the creator God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Anything that has been created was made by him. And he is uncreated. He stretched the heavens out, having made them. He spread forth the earth. He gave breath unto all flesh. Because he is creator God. And he is Christ the eternal God. Thou Lord. In the beginning. Laid the foundation of the earth. He was there. In the beginning. He was a word who was with God. And he established the creation. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He he was the eternal one. And he is the unchangeable one, the immutable one. And only God is immutable, unchangeable. Everything changes, you know. Angels change. Everything that was ever made changes. Material changes. All creatures change. We'll be changing throughout all eternity, increasing in knowledge. Only God is immutable. Only God is unchangeable. And this is ascribed to this Christ. 
Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. But thou remainest. Everything deteriorates. Everything evaporates. Everything perishes. But you are the same. You remain. They shall be changed. Everything changes. But thou art the same. As the psalm says. The same. Always the same. Jesus Christ. The same. As to his divine person. The same. Now his humanity changes. It's a creature nature. But the divine person. Who possesses that humanity. Is unchangeable. He is the Jehovah God. It's the Son of God incarnate in flesh. Thy years shall not fail. You see the, the suffering one is saying here. Oh he's saying my, my shadow declineth. My days are being shortened. I'm being taken away in the midst of my days. And the Lord says to him. Thou Lord art the same. Your years shall not end. Your years don't perish. You're the immutable one. So he's the unchanging one. Thy years are throughout all generations. And then Christ also is the disposer God. Because it says, As a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. You see, when he made the world, he had the fabric and he unfolded it and he stretched out the garments of the cosmos. He pulled out the curtain and stretched it out. And we can't even find the outer limits of the curtains, but he stretched them all out. But one day he'll fold the vesture up again and they'll be changed. He disposes of it as well. He brings in the new heavens and the new earth Thou, Lord, this one who's nailed to the tree, this Jesus of Nazareth, who suffers there in shame and agony, that one, thou, Lord, you'll fold the whole fabric up. That Those skies which are darkened, and that sun which has hid its light, you'll fold them up one day, so you shall. You'll dispose of it all. And so you see how truly though Christ is veiled in human flesh. How he is better than angels. Truly better than angels. Because Jehovah. The Jehovah Witnesses do not interpret this passage right at all. They rob him of his eternal deity. And may the Lord open their blinded eyes. You see then how he is a suitable saviour congregation. He's touched with grief. He's acquainted with grief, this man. This man of sorrows. As to his humanity, he has all the experience of it. The overwhelmed one. The one who has a broken heart, who pours it out before God. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He literally is touched. It's not just that he knows it as some distant thing 
as an omniscient mind who knows all things, but no, it's touched him. When he was made flesh, he's touched by it because he feels it. A true humanity, a true high priest, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, with the feeling of it. Do you know what it feels like to be infirm? Do you know what it feels like to be in a broken body? Do you know what it feels like to be having an afflicted mind? Jesus Christ felt that. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities as our great high priest. That's how he learned obedience as a son, by the things which he suffered. And that's why he is a merciful and faithful high priest unto his brethren. And that's why he's able to succor them who are tempted, because he himself has also been compassed about with infirmity. And so he's touched as the suffering one with the feelings of our infirmities. But he is also mighty to save. Because he created the universe and he will dispose of the universe. He's mighty to save. He's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto the Father through him. We especially refer to the last verse of the psalm. Paul didn't quote that, you know, but it's in his mind. And he will eventually come to it later on in the book. The verse 28, as he continues on to speak and to address the Jehovah, the children of thy servants shall continue. Oh, I'm going to be cut off in the midst of my days. I'm going to die. Yes, But the children of your servants will continue. Their seed shall be established before thee. You'll see it. You'll be present. You'll be there. You'll watch your seed grow. You'll watch your people multiply. You'll have a great seed. You'll have multitudes of believers. You'll have a great congregation. And they'll continue into eternity. And throughout all eternity they will be before you. Uh, To quote Psalm 110, which is the psalmist's main text. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. You'll have a people. You'll have a multitude. A willing multitude who will serve you, your servants. And they'll serve you along with their children. You'll have a seed. A seed shall serve you forever. Remember Isaiah 53? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. A seed shall serve him. Psalm 22. Instead of thy father, Psalm 45, shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I'll make thy name to be remembered to all generations. The people shall praise thee forever and ever. And one day you'll say, My son, behold I and the children which you, my father, have given to me. You'll see your seed. Yes, you'll be cut off in the midst of your days. Yes, you'll be crucified and nailed to the tree. 
but I pledge to you, Jehovah, you'll see your seed. And so he shall. And he is seeing it tonight in you and in all who believe on him with true faith. He sees them. And we see Jesus, our Redeemer God, our Jehovah Saviour, in whom we trust and believe, and to him be all glory. Amen.